Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to Raw, the fight within a brand new podcast series hosted by me, Coogan Cassius. Over the course of the series, I'll be sitting down with some of the most high-profile figures from the world of boxing, including fighters, trainers and promoters, in order to dig a little deeper and understand their own personal stories. This podcast is about much more than simply what happens inside the ring. It's about the journey, the sacrifices, the agony, the ecstasy, the highs, the lows, the tears and the fears. It's about getting to know the person. Thank you for tuning in. And I really hope you enjoy it. If you do, be sure to like, comment and subscribe. This podcast is suitable for over 18s only, as it may contain adult content and explicit language. Tony Bellew, thank you very much for appearing on Raw The Fight Within. Okay. Uh, it's only taken me like three months to get you. But we're here. We are here, we, we are here my friend. So talk to me because you, you already know everything. So I'm wondering what do you want to... I don't want... know everything. Uh, what do you want to talk about? Um, all right, okay. <laughs> you should be in a good mood anyway. Your team won I'm today. I'm made up, mate. I'm absolutely over the moon. Blue boys have done the job today against Brentford at home. Uh, and yeah, okay. three points in the bag. Well done. Hope you stay up anyway. Thank you very much. And by I the time this the... comes out, you could have been I, relegated by the way. And I hope you win the that. league. What's that? And I hope you win the league. I know, because you're a big Mikel Arteta fan. Mikel's top man now. Love Mick. Good, good guy he was. Right, we're going to start. I'm going to ease you in gently into this and then we'll see how we go on. Okay, Do you know your first ever memories of boxing? What were they? Staying up till four in the morning to fight Mike, to watch Mike Tyson. To fight Mike Tyson, I wish. <laughs> I don't wish that to be a bad ending. But yeah, staying up till four in the morning, uh, seeing Mike Tyson in fights. Uh, my earliest memories... Watching Muhammad Ali, being in awe of him, just thinking, wow, how great is he, yeah, for my earliest memories of boxing. What got you to that point now of even watching boxing? <clears throat> my dad, watching my dad go for the jog and then shadow boxing in the, in the backyard. And at this, at this age, I'm probably about eight or nine, I'm watching my dad shadow boxing. What's he doing? Why are you doing that? Asked him what he was doing, so, you know, do this to keep fit and train, and then, you know, went on a you know, couple of runs here and there with him at that age, ran around Sefton Park. My dad has a different story than me. My dad's theory and story is I went for a run with him around Sefton Park the first time I'd ever went for a bit of a distance run. It's about 2.3, 2.4 miles around Sefton Park. My dad said at the age of nine, I ran around Sefton Park without stopping. I don't believe that for a single second, but that's my dad's story that he tells everyone uh, because I've run around Sefton Park as a fully-fledged man, and had to stop. <laughs> so it oh, really? Been true. Yeah. Oh, listen, that was when I was uh, on the fat side of being out of shape and coming back from camp. But, uh, yeah, just... Just stayed with my early memories. And then training. My dad teaching me the very first basics of how to throw one, two, left hook. And that was it, mate, on the pads in the yard. Do you remember the first fight you ever went to, ever? Amateur or pro? 
You know, when I think about it, I think the first ever amateur event I ever showed up at was my first fight. I'm pretty sure, yeah. I didn't attend any amateur shows to watch. Do you remember the first ever pro show you went to, like where you actually probably... Oh, first ever pro, wow, there was many of them. Uh, it was in a sports centre somewhere. Obviously in Liverpool. Something's telling me it was within a sports centre and I don't know what's telling me that, but yeah. A long, long time ago. I don't expect you to remember at your age, to be fair. Oh, listen, lad, the punches I've took to the head. It, it, you know, it's estimated that a boxer will take 50,000 punches to the head a year, as uh, each year he is a professional or an amateur, of the standard that I was, you know, a top-level amateur and a top-level professional. <clears throat> so if you put that into context, I think I was a pro for 20-plus years. I've obviously been punched in the head over a million times. And you're asking me about my first ever memories of boxing and, and what it's done to me. So, yeah, you're stretching. You're really stretching me. But, yeah, I, boxing's been good to me. I've had a fantastic... Uh, life through boxing. I've lived out my wildest dreams. You mentioned Mike Tyson there, but was Mike Tyson <clears> the <throat> fighter that actually, there's always one fighter that, whether you're a fan or kind of the career you had, someone that kind of got you watching boxing in I terms of fights. Who was it? I, I loved Nigel Benn. I loved Mike Tyson. I loved Muhammad Ali. Uh, I, I had to find fighters to relate to. I think my first real love of a fighter was Riddick Bow. I, I just, I loved the fact that of how he was just so outspoken. I loved the fact that how he would just say and do whatever he thought or he wanted. I loved the fact that he would just belt people at a press conference. I just thought, you are nuts. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, he was my first real love as, as loving fighters. With Mike Tyson, everyone loved Mike. And I was Mike Tyson's biggest fan, I really was. You know, he's. He's the reason why I was so hell-bent on wanting to become a boxer, I, I do believe that. And then when you see our own, I've always wanted to see my own do well. And I think that's what hit home when I was watching, you know, the likes of Nigel Benn. Because Nigel Benn was never the greatest boxer or the, or the greatest skilled boxer, but mate, he could fight and he had the heart of a lion and he just got stuck in. And, you know, his, his, his athletic ability was second to none. <clears throat> and his desire and determination was just another level. So it was always someone, I always looked at them fighters who, who, who didn't have the greatest skill in the world and didn't have the ability, because I always knew I didn't. I was never one of them people who was a great athlete as a kid. I'm not one of them people who can just, you know when you meet them people and, and they're just good at every sport? Like I've known so many of them and like they can take the hand to anything. My best mate's like that. Neil can just take his hand to anything. Like he's a professional footballer. He could have easily been a professional table tennis player, a professional pool player. If he'd have had the right team around him, he would have been a champion boxer without a shadow of a doubt. Now, I'm not saying a world champion boxer, because that's very few and far between, but there's just some people out there. I weren't one of them kooks. I was one of them. I was a chubby little so-and-so, and -so and but I had insane amounts of determination, <clears throat> and I've always felt the world's against me. Do you ever think about, or have you thought about, if you hadn't got into boxing? Yeah, all the time. Two questions, or, or split question what you'd be doing now and kind of where your life would be now at 40 years old? The only way I can answer that is I don't know where I'd be, but I do know it wouldn't be good. That's what I do. Because I, listen, I was expelled from school with no qualifications. So what else am I going to do, Cooks? 
That's all you've got to say. Right? That's how you, how's your way up. I wasn't academically bright, and the and there wasn't the opportunities available when I was expelled from school as there is now. Like I've got my weapons down, gloves up, foundation, and I'm bending over, hand over foot to try and get these kids into full-time employment. No one was wanting to do that when I got expelled from school. There wasn't any organisations trying to do that. So, yeah, it was hard, mate. It was really, really hard. And, and you know, it's something that I had to learn from the get-go. Uh, I think the, the most important thing that, that's kept me on the street now is 100% my wife. So, if I hadn't met her and I hadn't had the kids, I'd 100% be locked up or dead. Because I just wanted nice things. And, and, and I've always believed I was going to get them and I believed I was entitled to them. I don't know why I believed that because I'm no one. I'm just a fucking shitty ass kid from Waverty but I was determined to get nice things and I was willing to do anything to get them. And yeah, I've done some crazy things, I've done some stupid things that I regret but yeah, it's just I, I'm, I'm a product of my, my environment. Do you know what you'd be doing as a profession? Or do you ever think about what you'd be doing work-wise? My missus and my kids kept me on the straight and narrow 100% because I've had every job under the sun. But that was while I was chasing the dream of one day becoming a world championship boxer. If I didn't have that dream in the far end or at the end of the tunnel, like that, that, that goal, that vision of I'm going to become world champion, I can make it, I can do it, I wouldn't have done all them jobs. I wouldn't have worked in a pillow factory. I wouldn't have worked in Next. I wouldn't have worked on a nightclub door. I wouldn't have worked in daytime security. I wouldn't have worked There's so many jobs. I wouldn't have been a labourer on a building site. I wouldn't have done any of these jobs, Coog. They were all, they were all to, to, what's the word I'm looking for, to just try and get towards that dream of becoming a world championship boxer. That's why I've done it. That's why all these jobs, I kept sticking at them and sticking at them, earning a living. And it was all just to, to get to that dream. What was you doing at Pillar Factory? Stuffing pillows and then putting them, sewing them across. Oh, you're, you're on a product line, so you stuff a pillar and it gets to another part and another part of the pillar stuffed or there's duvets or then you've got to carry them, move them, shift them to another part. And I was working there for the, about eight months, ten months before I got my scholarship off the Liverpool City Council to be a trainee accountant and also box for my country going around the world. So that was my job. Chris Walker got me that job uh, in the pillar factory. You know, what was your wage there, do you remember? My wage there was 150 quid a week. Five day week? Monday to Friday, and we could work overtime on a Saturday if we wanted, Saturday mornings. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> and, but as I say, all these dreams were to, to fulfil that long goal of being a world championship boxer. And I was telling people in the, in the, in the pillar fact, I'm going to be a champ world champion, you know, I'm going to be the best, I'm going to be this and that. And at this stage, pff, I hadn't even won an ABA title. And I was telling them, I'm going to be. I'm going to be the best fighter in the world. I'm going to win a world title. I'm going to be a British Commonwealth European world champion. They must be thinking, yeah, okay, mate. Well, you mock for that, yeah. Like, did people mock you for those comments? I was always called a bullshit as a kid. He's full of shit, him. Chat shit. He just chat shit. My best man's speech at my wedding was basically about me chatting shit. <laughs> that's what he said. He just chat shit. But we've always chat shit. And we all chat shit. And that's it. That's all. I swear to God, he said chat, chat shit or chat shit. 50 times in his speech and he's right it, it, it was chatting shit but it, it's now worked out that that chatting shit has ended up becoming reality and it's all become real and no one can call me that bullshitter anymore no one can say he just used to go on I mean I was saying I was going to have a fight at Goodison Park it's never happened Cooks. it had never happened before it happened with me 
And I was saying it for years. I was going, I'm going to fight Goodison Park one day. There's never been... How can you say I'm going to fight Goodison Park when there's never been a fight there before? No one's done it before. Because, you know, how many people genuinely believe they're going to be the first to do it? And I wasn't, and I did genuinely believe that. I just know I needed the right opportunity, the right moment, and it all synced in and fell in place. And thankfully, it worked out. But <clears throat> I'm under no illusions, you know. I was a bit of a bullshitter. I think so. I would just spout and talk shite and go on and on and, you know. Everything that I spouted and the bullshit that I've said, it ended up working out and coming true. So I think people like to use it as a different phrase these days. I think people like to say, speak, see, believe, or some kind of, you know, that phrase that they use. I was doing that shit 25 years ago. When I was 15 years old, I was telling people I'm going to be world champion. You know, I was in my amateur gym. And I used to get into mad arguments with, with fellow amateurs and go, I'm going to be a world champion. How can you possibly tell that? You're, you're a, you're a novice amateur. And I go, you'll see. It worked out in the end. You can't talk that much shit, obviously. Proof is in the pudding, as I say. Literally is in this pudding, mate. It literally is in this pudding. So, yeah, <clears throat> I'm happy, Cougs. It worked out. It worked out. And all them, all them dreams I had, I fulfilled all the goals and dreams I had, mate. I, they were nuts when I was a kid growing up. I was just wild. And meet me aspirations and goals. I've met every one of them. Uh, if you'd have said to me 25 years ago, you're going to do this, this and this, even though I was saying it, Googs, did I genuinely believe it? I'm not so sure. So I suppose some of the people, I was chatting shit, but I chatted that much shit, I had to back it up and I did in the end. As a child or a kid, teenager, whatever, do you remember the first ever fight you got into outside of any kind of boxing situation? Not that many. Yeah. The first one. Yeah, I had a fight or flight moment, junior school. Uh, kid takes the ball, calls me a few names. Playing football, yeah. Playing football, kid takes the ball, you're fat such and such. And I was like, air sound, and I didn't really want to fight, but he's like, comes over to me, approaches me, and I said, okay, let's do it. Uh, well, he didn't say, let's do it, that's a lie. He pushed me and I punched him, that was it. That was my first bit of a scrap. And, I think I got suspended from school, if I'm right, and thinking back. Uh, got a good slap and a hiding off my ma. Then my dad come home from work, got one off him as well. Uh, but my dad's one didn't, wasn't really that bad because he was quite proud of me for belting someone. So, so your mum's one dug my, a bit my, deeper. My, my, my mum's one was like, I'd laugh at my mum's hidings, to be honest. She'd get a slipper out on the leather, doesn't Like, I'd find it funny. But yeah, when you would see your dad gets home, don't find that shit funny then, mate. And then, yeah. So at that age, I'm probably about seven or eight. And that's the first fight that I can remember. Did you think you could fight at that age? Fighting never scared me. So I, w I would see people get offered out or get offered fights. I'd see it at the end of school and I'd be like, it's really? It's right. And, and, and yeah, fighting never scared me. Like, why would anyone be scared of another man with two arms? I don't care how big you are, how small you are. I just don't get why you'd be scared. There's nothing he can do to me that I can't do to him. If he's bigger, strong, whatever, so what? I'm just not intimidated by, by another man. I'm more scared of my wife than I am a man, any man. So, yeah, I just, I just never got scared cooks with fights. Loads of kids did, loads of kids were apprehensive. I mean, I remember being in Picton Park one day. We were playing football, me and all my mates, and <clears throat> the ball went for a bit of a... The, we were playing pairs, and the keepers kicked it out, so obviously one of the pairs goes and chase the ball, gets it, and then we're, we're playing 2v2. Two, two with a goalie, the keepers kicked too far, the ball went to these lads and there was a group of them and they were bigger than us. And uh, 
we must have been at this age, 13, 14. And my mates have gone, what's going on? And I've gone, they've took the ball. And my mates have just leave them. I said, you can't just take out a ball. He said, lad, just forget it. They're bigger than us. Just, just leave them. I said, lad, they're not having Hey, give me the ball. He went, oh, what? And I said, just give me the ball. It doesn't have to be or nothing. And you're not getting it, you fat tit. Okay, sounds went, so bang, straight on the chin, hit the floor. At this age now, I'm boxing. And I just, and once I've wiped him out and he's hit the deck, well, he hit the grass, his mates just scarpered, took the ball. And that was the end of it. My mates were like, oh, okay, this has started to change. Because I was never nasty. I never had, I was never one of them ones who, if everyone goes, he can fight him, he's this and that. I was just quiet. And I was that fat kid. I just loved playing football. And I didn't tell anyone I was boxing. I didn't tell no one in the school. No one actually knew. We were having bouts and everyone knew. And then when my mates seen that, I think they were like, oh, fucking hell. He can, he can literally really have a fight out of all his mates. And, and that was it then. It just went on from there. Talk to me about a time where you felt in your life you were fighting a losing battle. So many. Every day, really. It's what marriage is. <laughs> no way. Uh, Not specifically what? to boxing, but just in your I'm life. Just, I've had some horrible, dark moments. Uh, yeah, losing people's always a battle that you can never get over, so yeah. I haven't had a worse moment in my life than losing my brother-in-law, so yeah. And I can never, ever, I watch my wife and not a day goes by I don't look at it and she doesn't think of him. And then by her thinking of him, I'm thinking of him as well. So they're losing battles that I can never get over and I can never get the time back. So yeah, loads of them battles. Losing people is the, the saddest thing in the world. There is no pain in the world like grief. I've seen Stephen Bartlett do a, a video recently and he said that the, the worst pain in the world is heartache. And, and I love Stephen Bartlett. I think he's absolutely brilliant. I really do. And spending a bit of time with him that I've spent, I thought, you know what, you're such a bright individual. But he got that one well wrong. Because hearts mend. And there's always another love out there. But grief never goes away. And people, when people don't come back, there's no way of getting over it. So, yeah. The worst pain in the world is grief. Without a shadow of a doubt. What, what are the everyday battles for you now in your life? When you wake up in the morning, what are the everyday battles for Tony Bellier? Mentally, as opposed to physically? Pushing myself to carry on training, to stop being a, a blob. And just try and be a better father every day than I possibly can. Try and be a better husband. Try and be a better son. Try and be a better friend. I just try and be better. So, and that's very hard, because some days I've just fed up. Some days I've just had enough and I feel fucked the world. Some days I'm sad, some days I'm happy. Uh, mm, just different every day, Cook. Some days I have brilliant days where I wake up and the baby's in a boss mood and he's, he's just made up and he jumps on my feet at the end of bed. But then some days you get up and you fucking whack me on the head with a plane and then that'll start off, be a start of a shit day and I'll just be fuming all day. Or <clears throat> some days my missus gets up and she's in a world of shit because she's, she's upset over whatever and then the kids are arguing. Or the, so every day is different, man. I, I, no one lives the perfect life, Cooks. Everyone's got problems, and, and I'm just another normal person with problems every day. Uh, I think that my biggest fight and problem is, is being so negative towards myself, but I don't know how to cure that. So I just have to keep working with it and working on me to make it better. I think you're an emotional person. I'm an emotional fucking wreck. <laughs> when was the last time you had to fight back tears? 
this morning. What happened? Mrs. upset. Uh, Mrs. a brother. So, you know, simple as that. That's the top and bottom of it. Not a day goes by. Just, it is what it is, mate. It's not nice. You've always come across, as long as I've known you, as being an emotional person, but a lot of that stuff has been kind of, I've seen from a boxing perspective, but in your private life and your home life, mm. does that carry on to that? No, I'm, I'm pretty level at that home. I'm pretty, uh, they call me a grump and a bore. <laughs> you know, his dad, a miserable, all he's boring. I'm not, I'm just, I try not to let the highs take me too high anymore than the lows take me too low, because the lows have taken me to the point where I've been in some shit places, uh, some really dark, hard places. So yeah, but the, I don't let the highs take me right up no more. So I love playing golf, frustrates the life out, but I love doing it, I love playing, so I continue to try and make time in my life to do that. I enjoy my job now. I never, when I first retired, I had that 12 months where no one really seen me and I never done nothing for the first 12 months. I literally did go missing. And then after the 12 months passed, I realized I'm just turning into a fat waste of space and I'm not being productive with anything I'm doing in my life. That's not being a good father. And then <clears throat> I got to a point where I come back to work, started doing a bit more stuff on the TV, started doing a bit more work. I was an ambassador for Matchroom for a good 12 months. And then I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm all right at this. You know, I can do, I can interview people, I can be a, I can, I can do all different stuff. I can act, I can interview, I can host, I can, I can do so many different things. Now I've got my podcast and I've got me obviously my punditry role with The Zone and there's so many different things I can do. And it took me a while to work that out because all I've been for, for my life was a boxer. Even though I'd had them jobs to subsidise that dream of becoming that world champion, my real goal was just being a fighter and studying boxing. That was all I've ever known, Cooks. And when I woke up on Sunday uh, after that fight with Alexander Usyk, and I'm no longer that no more, it's hard to do. It's hard to take, and it's very, very tough. <clears throat> and I say I'm, I'm just fortunate enough that I did put plans in motion. I had the plan. I had a get-out strategy. I had an uh, exit plan, and, and I followed it through, and it worked. But it still was tough, very, very tough. And now I'm at the stage of. I've just got to uh, keep being the best I can. I say I'm not perfect, I'm far from it. And people will say, are you emotional? I think everyone's emotional. It just depends how much other people see. I mean, people look at me, 90% of people look at me and think, I'm not emotional, I'm a big fucking horrible hard bastard. That's what most people think when they look at me. That's how, that's how my appearance comes across to some people, but people who know me know I'm nothing like that. Uh, and I'm probably too soft, if anything but then you can push me the wrong way and I am horrible. I have got that horrible side to me and I've had to have that side because I would never have achieved my dreams without that side. And I don't believe you'll get anywhere in life just being soft as shit and saying yes to everyone. Sometimes I've had to say no, sometimes I've had to be horrible. Sometimes I've said fuck you, uh, like everyone else really. I'm assuming you've had to, to fight demons in your life. Are you still fighting demons in your life now? Who doesn't? I'm the same as everyone else. <clears throat> show me a person who's not fighting demons, show me a person who's not... Show me a person who's not unhappy with some aspect of their life and I'll show you the fucking liar. Everyone is going through something. Why do people believe that looking at social media? Because social media is just a highlight reel for everyone's life. 
No one's being real on social media. No one's showing ever. I mean, I've, I've said this time and time again. I could wake up and show you the best life in the world on social media. And I could also wake up and then show you the fucking how much hardest fucking life going. Which which one do I choose to show you? That's that's the key. But I go through them every every day. So it's just which which way it crumbles on each day. That's all it's down to, Coos. It's just down to how the cookie crumbles on that day. So hopefully tomorrow's a good day. Hopefully I feel good. Hopefully I don't feel shit. Uh, hopefully me missus is having a lovely day and it's great, you know. I hope for them things. But are they going to happen? I don't know. I have no idea. I'll just have to wait and wake up tomorrow. Hopefully, you know, I get up and I feel good. I feel like I want to train. Today, it was a nightmare. I had to get on the peloton 45 minutes. I didn't want to train today. And then I've, by me, by me miss watching me train, she's not feeling too good. She's been upset all night. She's been crying. And then she wakes up and then it, it pushes her to train as well. So it's hard, mate. It's life. But we're not the only ones. There'll be people listening to this who are going through problems as well. The only advice I could give you to say is just keep going. Because at the end of them problems, there is a bit of light. At the end of them shit days, there is a good day behind it. And, and that's all anyone can do. Just keep pushing on, lad. keep cracking on. Do not give up. Because the person who, who keeps getting up can never truly be defeated. I'm telling you, it's, it's the one thing I'll stand by. You keep getting up, you keep giving a bit back. You can never be truly beaten. Where does your fight spirit come from in, in a mental sense as opposed to a physical sense? Where does that actually I used stem to, from? I used to think it was me dad, but it's definitely not. It's, it's both of them, my mum and my dad. My mum's tough as old boots, man. She's, she's lived through a fucking... a period of, of racism. She's lived through an era of, of horrific racism. Uh, and, and yeah, she's had it tough. You know, she's raised mixed-race kids. Me, two, two of my brothers are, are, are the same colour as yourself, and then two of us are lighter, like me. So, you know, she's, she's lived through that her whole life, and she's had that stigma attached to it of being half-breeds and fucking mongrels and all that shit thrown at us. Yeah, so she's very, she's extremely tough and resilient, and then she's been through all the shit with me pops and stuff like that. Uh, she's, she's an extremely tough and resilient woman. She's brilliant, and then... As, as you say, I've got my half fella. My dad is, is, is a hard bastard. He's old school hard. Like, he's tough. I've seen my dad cry twice in his life. Well, three times, actually. Does his dad see you cry? Yeah. My dad's seen me highest moments in a boxing ring. He's seen me lowest moments in a boxing ring as well. I mean, away from boxing? Uh, yeah. He's seen, me, he's seen me in tears, man, when people die. When I actually died, fuck me. I've, I don't think I've ever cried like that in my life, ever. Never since and never, never again, so... Yeah, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I've never cried like that. But I've had some horrible moments. I remember Jimmy dying. That was a harrowing, heartbreaking moment that sticks with me forever. People losing people, man, it's the hardest thing in the world. That fucking, it kills me. Nothing really gets to me much these days. Do you know what, though? I am getting softer because I find myself fucking welling up in films now all the time. <laughs> fucking sad bastard I am. Yes, well, films can make me well up. Like, when I see people do well, it makes me well up for the happiness for them. Like, I watched King Richard, the movie the other day. About Serena Williams. Serena Venus Williams. Yeah. And it's one of the best films I've ever watched. And it had me well enough. I was on a plane, and there was, there was like a tear rolling down my face. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? I was on a plane on my way to Dallas to interview AJ for The Zone. And, and there was tears rolling down, like, rolling down the center. And I was like, what the fuck? It, it's not even sad. But it was just... 
seeing people do well now in moments in their life, it, it just does something to me. So yeah, I'm probably getting older, I'm softer. I would never ever cry at a movie or be emotional or anything when I was fighting. Like I was just horrible. Yeah, I just wouldn't do it. And then when I think things started to change when I got towards the Goodison Park fight and stuff like that, I was a lot more emotionally invested in fights then and things would get me. But now, I'm just a crying fucking crying owl man. Do you believe that you've gone through a spate of depression in your life? 100%, but once again, as not everyone. I don't believe I've felt anything that everyone else hasn't felt. I don't believe I'm special. I don't believe I'm this fucking big individual. I've felt what everyone else has felt, Coogan, and that's it. It's, uh, I think I've done well to come out the other side of them because I've felt before today, mate, like I've, I've just, yeah, felt really bad, really, really bad. So, yeah, but I'm not someone who's going to harp on about depression because I've seen people taking their lives. Uh, but yeah, we got, I, think, I, I, I think a lot, 90% of people have them thoughts at, at certain points and periods in their life. And I, think, I really do believe that. Uh, it's not a nice thing, but it's just it's just me being it's just me being honest. Excuse me, it's just me being honest. You know, I'm, I'm sure you felt it yourself. I'm sure you felt really low, dark, horrible moments in your life, and I suppose how we come out of them moments that defines us, that really makes us. Uh, thankfully, I'm still here, and I'm on the other side of them moments. But yeah, I felt some, I felt some nasty moments, uh, some some high pressure moments. You know, I remember sitting in a cell one night for 16 hours after chinning someone. And, and the last thing I seen was the fellow asleep on the floor and blood coming out of his ear. And, he, and I was telling him, get up, lad, while I was sitting in a police van in handcuffs. I'm just thinking, I'm going to end up in jail for life for this. I'm just thinking, wow. And for the, for people say for the grace of God and all that shit, I don't believe, I don't believe much. I wish I could. I wish I could, I'm trying to come round to them kind of thoughts because I think it would help with my own life, but I just remember thinking, just get up, please, if anyone's even watching or listening, but thankfully I didn't end up getting locked up for good and the five lads who was trying to finish me off and one of them that got put a kip, that stopped it, but yeah. Everyone's got stories in life. It's crazy, it's just the world we live in. You believe that uh, depression, sorry, exists in boxing though? We don't always hear about it. We hear people like Tyson Fury talking about it, but we don't hear it from a... A wider scale after that. Depression exists in all sports. In every sport. You know why depression exists in sports? Because with every major sport, there's a massive high and there's a massive low. And with massive lows comes massive sets of depression. So it's not just boxing. It's all sports. Every major sport covered by TV, by the media, brings highs and lows. And with them, them lows, like I said, comes depression, comes dark moments. I'll never forget Canada. I was in that room on my own, cried myself to sleep after losing to Adonis Stevenson. The first time I thought I genuinely lost a fight. I never thought I lost to Cleverly, so I, could I was back out on the Sunday with a smile on my face. Thought I'd won. Against Adonis Stevenson, my world had collapsed. And I was absolutely heartbroken. Cried myself to sleep in Canada. And I was on my jack in that room. No one come to that room to, to, to fucking see me off. No one helped me. I just sobbed me and got left alone. And that was how I coped. The next day, I get up, I reinvent myself, I go to a new weight, and I get over it, and we keep moving. Because once again, I'm that person who refuses to give up. Like I've said, 
the man who refuses to give up is the man who can never truly be defeated. Last one. What yeah. still drives that fight within you? What is it? What's the factors that drive Tony Bellew at your age now, where you are in your life? What drives that? 40 years old. And I feel like I just want to be better at anything I'm doing. And what drives that? My family, my kids, my missus, trying to prove to them I can do more, I can be more. Setting a better example for my kids, trying to push on, trying to better their lives. That's what really motivates me, being the best I can possibly be. And people will say, oh, that's a fucking cliche, same shit, but try doing it yourself. Just be the best you can be. That's all you need to do. And listen to brilliant songs like that. Can you believe that? <laughs> uh, and of all the people, it's me son. Wondering where you are. And he's, yeah. only, he's only probably in the next room. He's 60, 70 metres away from us and he's wondering where's dad, where's dad, where's dad. But He knows where you're me though. So. Yeah, he's, he's, my little, he's my little baby. Well, he's not my little baby. He's bigger than me. 17 years old. He's six foot four. He's massive. But... Yeah, it's, me, it's, it's what I've created in these kids. I, I, you know, the really good kids I've, I've made. Me and my wife and me and Mrs. Rachel, and we've done a great job with them. It's just about getting it over the line now. Right, Tony, listen, appreciate your time. Absolute uh, pleasure. Just want to point out, obviously, we've done this just before you're about to go live on the <laughs> zone. But, yeah, listen, I had to get you when I did. So Always appreciate your time and you doing this podcast. Pleasure, mate. Thank you very much for listening to Raw the Fight Within Podcast with me and Tony Belly. Make sure you comment, like, and subscribe, and we will see you next Monday. Tony, thank keep, you very much. Keep watching. He's doing a great job. Keep listening. Sports Social Podcast Network.